Today we're going to uh, continue this series called Weightless. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking more about how to be forgiven or how to forgive yourself, which is an important topic. Um, but I think it's only important in as much as we understand where we're headed now. Because from this point in the series, we're pivoting. We're going to be talking about how to extend forgiveness, how to forgive others. And one of the most confusing things biblically about forgiveness is this connection that, especially in the New Testament, it seems to make between our capacity to be forgiven and our capacity to forgive. There are times in the New Testament where it seems like what God is saying through the people that wrote the Bible is, is that we can only be forgiven as much as we forgive. And that's a tough teaching. There is a connection there. We're going to explore not just today, but for the next few weeks. Um, and, and so this is a little bit of a harder thing for many of us. And I know some of us just have a, a few of us, I think, have a complex of shame where forgiving yourself is like the hardest part of this conversation. But I think most of us, um, that for most of us, this will be a harder, a harder thing uh, to learn how to forgive someone else, especially when that someone else uh, doesn't care that they hurt you or they don't know that they hurt you or they're dead and you can't you know, hear them apologize. You, you know, those kinds of situations um, make it really tough to forgive and let go. So I'm happy y'all are here. Happy y'all are here online as well. Thank you for joining us online. And uh, today, uh, we don't have study guides because that's what I normally do on Thursday on my computer. And so, <laughs> so get over it. Uh, it's a little bit of grace there. So forgive me, you know, uh, practice what I preach or whatever. Um, but we are going to talk about this important topic of, of uh, forgiveness. So I wanted to start today just by telling you a story about a guy, a young kid, who was special. And everybody knew he was special. He just had a spark. He had a light. And from his early childhood, everybody knew he was different. Now, this kid, he grew up in a small town. He grew up kind of on a family farm situation. But the circumstances around him were just awful. So special kid, very unspecial circumstances. It kind of begins, the story begins with his father who was just a loser, if I could be honest with you. His father was just kind of a, a jerk and a cheater and a liar. I mean, earlier in his life, he had kind of lied his way into a family fortune. Um, and and uh, he, he married a woman and she didn't make him happy. So then he married her sister instead, like... Uh, which is very, like, Utah of him to do, you know. Like, but he wasn't from Utah. He just married her sister. And, but even she wasn't enough because he still sired other kids with at least two other women. And uh, just kind of that situation, you're kind of getting a feel for that kind of, that kind of situation. Um, unfortunately, it's just not that uncommon, and this was kind of a rural, poor situation. But this kid, he just, he had something special. I think maybe part of it came from his mom. Everybody loved his mom. Uh, he loved his mom. His mom was the second wife of the dad. Um, but the mom died in childbirth, giving birth to his younger sibling. So she was gone. So it was just the dad and his 11 siblings. One day, um, when that kid was like 17, a teenager, uh, the older siblings were out running errands and doing the family business and taking care of stuff, and, and they didn't come home when they should have. And the father suspected they were up to something. And so instead of being a proactive father and manning up and, and going and looking for them himself, they, he sent this kid 
out to spy on them, to be a snitch. And, uh, and so the kid goes out, and sure enough, he finds them where they're not supposed to be. He finds them in a nearby town that's, like, known for its sinful greed and stuff. It's lust, and it's like an international market of trade. International businessmen were all over this town, and it was known for human trafficking. And, and he finds them there. And when they see him coming, they know he's going to rat them out. And so, I don't know how this happened, but one of them decided to just give it to him. And he just laid into him and just punched him in the face. And then the others joined in and it became like this brawl. They bullied him. They beat him to a pulp. They like stripped his clothes off of him and left him naked and humiliated. And it caused this stir in the town. You know, it was like they were taking years worth of frustration out on this brother. Because all they ever wanted really was for that no good dad of theirs to look at them the way he looked at him. But he never did. His brother thought he was better than them. And it just snowballed out of control. And the commotion caused by that scene, it drew the attention of some of the people around. One of them was an international businessman who came and saw what was happening. He saw an opportunity is what he saw. Because he saw this vulnerable, handsome boy. And he offered to take him off their hands for a price. In a moment they cannot explain and will forever regret, they agreed to sell him into the human trafficking network. He was 17 years old. Can you imagine what he went through after that? Some of you, it's going to be a stretch for you to imagine this, but can you imagine the dark memories that boy had as he became a man? Can you imagine the sense of betrayal that his own flesh and blood would do this to him? Can you imagine him remembering, yelling out his brother's names one by one and watching them walk away? Can you imagine him looking into the eyes of that pervert human trafficker who put him in chains and led him away as a slave? Can you imagine how his life changed from that day forward? If you are a Bible scholar and or a fan of Broadway musicals. <laughs> you know that this story is from the Old Testament book of Genesis. And it's the story of a man named Joseph who was 17 when his brothers sold him as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. Then they went home and they lied to their dad. They said that he was dead. This boy that was going places was no more. And now everything would be different. Everything would change. His life uh, from that point was spent in chains, his formative years anyway, from 17 to 30, which is a formative years in a young man's life. He was spent either as a slave or as a prisoner. But even as a slave, the Bible says God never stopped looking out for him. He was still special. He was special before this happened, and he was special after. He had purpose before this happened. He had purpose after. The Lord was with Joseph, gave him success in everything he did 
Potiphar, who was Joseph's owner or master, put him in charge of his household and entrusted to Joseph's care everything that he owned. Immediately following this promotion, Joseph gets, catches the attention of Potiphar's wife. Remember, Joseph's handsome and good-looking and special. And so when you are that way, people want more of you. And she wanted more of Joseph. And she sexually harassed Joseph is what happened. And when he rejected her advances, uh, she claimed in the aftermath that he had raped her. And this is what happened. Soon after... Um, Potiphar's wife sexually harassed Joseph, accused him of rape. Joseph was thrown into prison. This is what happens. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Are you seeing a pattern? Everywhere Joseph goes, God's blessings go with him. How does this happen to someone? Someone who's betrayed in the worst way possible by the people that are closest to him. How do God's blessings continue to rain down on Joseph? How does Joseph continue to be special in any way when he's in chains? When he's a prisoner? When he's a slave? How does this work, God's blessings, no matter the circumstances? In this strange turn of events, a story that I don't have time to explain today, by the time Joseph was 30, these blessings had added up, and he had gotten the attention of some powerful people. He had gained an audience with the king of Egypt, who respected Joseph's advice so much that he commuted Joseph's sentence and appointed him as viceroy over the Egyptian kingdom, the right-hand man of the king at the age of 30 in spite of what had happened to him. Now, what I want to say today is this. If it hasn't happened already to you, there will come a time when someone close to you, someone in your inner circle who you should be able to trust, drops the ball. When someone who should protect you neglects you. When someone who should guard your heart breaks it. If it hasn't happened to you yet, and my hunch is it's already happened to most of us here today because that's how life works. Someone who should look after your well-being will betray you. What I want to say is this. Your response, your reaction in the aftermath of that betrayal is so critical. Your reaction to betrayal will chart the course for the rest of your life. The way you choose to react to those moments of betrayal, those instances of betrayal, the path you choose to take will determine your destiny in large part. From that point forward, the decisions you make after you're betrayed matter. They matter more than I think uh, most of us care to admit. The choices that you have before you when someone betrays you are this. So everybody faces the same choices and everybody has the power to choose any one of these choices. No matter how grave the betrayal may seem. God gives you the willpower, the ability to choose any one of these paths. So someone close to you 
they should be faithful to you, they cheat on you, they break your heart. A parent who should look after you, they are guilty of dereliction of their duty as parents. They don't look after you, you know, for whatever reason, you know. Or maybe a child who should look up to you, who should respect you, giving them everything. Maybe they leave the nest and they don't respect you, they don't care for you, they don't love you. And you deal with that betrayal. You face these three options. On the one hand, you can just resent them. You can choose to stew over what they did to you every day for the rest of your life. You can choose to lay awake at night and pray for the day that they feel the pain they've made you feel. You can stalk them online and hope to see a picture of them alone. Maybe she left him, you know, like he left me. Like you can, you can hope for revenge. You can hope to get back what is owed you because they stole something from you. They stole your joy, your ability to trust, your sense of security. They stole something. They owe you and you can just pray and wait for the day to collect. Or you can let it slowly eat you away in silence. You don't tell anybody that you hate them. You don't like pray for their, you know, downfall. You just don't deal with it. And so in silence, it just slowly eats away at you. Your resentment just slowly kind of grows, and you believe a little bit less in yourself every day because you're not worthy of the love they should have given you. Or you can resent. You can slowly die inside out, or you can trust God and forgive these are the options before us every time somebody betrays us. You can trust God and forgive. What does it mean to trust God when somebody owes you something? That's the question. Because that sounds like religious speak, and that's not what we do here. What does it mean to trust God with what they owed you? Listen, uh, Ten years after he rose to power in Egypt, there was a massive food shortage in the land throughout the region. The only place in the area that had any food at all was Egypt because Joseph had the bright idea of setting aside some reserves during the time of plenty. That's why Joseph was appointed as viceroy. And so he set aside food. They were the only place that had food. Everybody else from all the other outlying areas, including Joseph's hometown, came to Egypt to not die. And one day while Joseph was overseeing the lines of people coming for their rations, as viceroy of Egypt, he overlooked it, and he saw ten faces that he recognized. And they were sunken and skinny, starving and older. But he recognized them. Joseph was 40, not 17 like the day they sold him. But 40, a grown man, well-fed, and in Egyptian garb now, they did not recognize him. Now Joseph faced those same options. Payback, quiet resentment, forgiveness. And in all honesty, this did not go how, you know, you might think a Bible story would go where it's immediate, you know, reconciliation. Joseph's first response, to throw those punks in prison. And that's what he does. He throws them in prison, at which point my human heart just wants to stand and applaud because it's exactly what I would want to do. Of course, they deserve that. Think of everything they stole from him. 
They robbed him of something. This is what we talk about when we talk about the economics of forgiveness. The Bible talks about forgiveness in terms of sin and debt, a debt that is owed. Those boys owed their brother something. They stole his innocence. They stole his childhood. Joseph didn't have a normal life. Joseph didn't meet a nice Jewish girl from his town and have a wedding and then get a house with some land to take care of. Joseph never got to... To, you know, watch his dad play with his kids like a grandfather should. Joseph didn't get any of that stuff. He was in chains from 17 to 30. He ate alone, if he ate at all, in darkness, uncertainty, doubt, not even knowing if his parents or anybody, if his dad, his siblings cared about his well-being. Of course they owed him a tremendous debt. Of course he would be inclined to throw them into prison to make them pay. This was his chance. He'd waited for this for 23 years. But instead, Joseph makes another choice. Three days after throwing them in jail, three days in prison as they're wondering if this is God's judgment for what they did to their brother long ago. They still don't know their brother's the one that put them there. Three days later, Joseph has a change of heart and he decides to commute their sentence. He decides to invite them over to his palace for a dinner. He invites them over to break bread with him. And this is what happened next in Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before the attendants. These are the servants at the meal. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Jesus said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves. Listen to this. Don't be distressed. Don't be mad at yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Do you hear the change of heart that's happened in Joseph? Do you hear the grace in his words? Do you hear how God has healed his broken heart to the extent that his brothers who were responsible for all the horrors that he survived, that he could possibly believe that God sent him ahead of them to save their lives from starvation? It's an amazing thing God can do in the human heart. And this is the perfect illustration of why it's important in those moments where you face those three paths to trust God and to forgive those who's hurt you. Because in this moment, it is clear. Joseph has the perspective of time as viceroy of Egypt now to look back on the past that he's lived and survived to see that God has brought him this far for a purpose and for a reason. He can see that his destiny now is deeply intertwined with their betrayal then. And that is not to say that their betrayal was necessarily God's will for Joseph's life. God gives all of us free will, and we can choose to do something other than God's will, like his brothers did. But when people behave that way, God can still intercede. God can still act and redeem what was to 
show us what could be. Joseph's destiny now is wrapped around their betrayal then. And Joseph, because God had healed his heart and he trusted God at every turn, Joseph could see that in a way that most of us struggle to see. I've never been betrayed as dramatically as Joseph. Most of us haven't. Most of us have to use our imaginations. But I, I know someone, I'm pretty close to someone who's been through something similar in some ways. I'm married to her. Pastor Gio went through something similar in terms of family dynamics and what she had to survive. We shot the video you're about to see a year and a half ago, but I wanted to just pick a clip out and show you what she had to overcome and how God had to heal her heart as well. I got involved in the church from the time I was seriously like eight. <laughs> I uh, was a faithful attendee for a long time and you can name something that the female was allowed to do and I was probably doing it. <laughs> this is my Bible that I've had since I'm a kid. It's my most precious possession and I love it. When I was 14 I got baptized. In my room in Ecuador there's this big window. That night I sat on my bed and I just I looked at those big beautiful stars and I said thank you God so much and as I thanked God I had the sense that I was called to be a pastor. I felt led to read this passage and I highlighted it then. It says, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from his farthest corners saying to you you're my servant I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. I told one of the pastors um, that I, I had felt that I was called to ministry. And he basically said that I was wrong, that I was imagining things, that, that women are not allowed to serve as pastors. And he told my dad that I needed to be disciplined. I didn't know when or how, but I knew that the same God I had prayed to from the time I was a tiny little kid is the same God that had called me to be a pastor. The one constant since the day we met to now is this uh, strange supernatural connection she has with God. I've come to accept it. I used to kind of rail against it. She would say, well, God told me this. You don't need to do this or you need to do that. And I thought it was just her trying to get me to do what she wants. And so I used to rebel against it. And I've learned over time through some uh, trial and error uh, <laughs> to listen and, and trust that connection. One time I was again praying in front of my big window, staring at the stars at night. And I said, God, I just almost feel like I'm imagining things because it seems so surreal how I feel every back is turning against me. I was reading my Bible and this passage from Isaiah came and it was just a beautiful passage in which God just spoke to me about his faithfulness that even though everybody would abandon me, God would never abandon me. Even though everybody will turn their backs on you and abandon you, I will never abandon you, never. And I remember that was like the catalyst for the rest of my life. I 
I graduated from high school at a very early age. I was 16 when I graduated, and we got a call from a missionary who had stayed at our house at one point. And he had gone to Houston, and he knew this Brazilian pastor here in Houston who was really struggling with the worship in their congregation. And he remembered me leading worship, and he was like, I just mentioned to them about Giovanna, and she can lead worship really well. So I just was wondering if she would consider coming to help them with the church plant. My dad had this idea that my sister and I would end up living in the same house and we would all just get married and stay there. He did not react well to me wanting to go to Houston at all. We were at the airport. He looked at me and he said, if you get in that plane, you're not my daughter anymore. Coming to Houston was terrifying, but I also thought the other option I have is to stay here and to never answer to my calling from God. It was scary because I wasn't working for this church. I was serving as a volunteer. So at one point, you know, you run out of money and you're in a foreign country. You don't know what is going to happen to you. <laughs> I used to tell God, oh God, I answered to this calling that you gave me and I knew you wanted me out of there and now I'm out of there, but I am broke. <laughs> so like a series of just miracles started happening. If you're uh, keeping score at home, that was five hairstyles in five minutes. So, and I love them all, of course. That series of miracles that she referred to included going to college with no support from her family back home, getting married at 20, getting her master's degree, starting four churches, raising two kids. But maybe the most miraculous thing that I've seen in Giovanna happened one night in our tiny house in Kansas City when her dad came up for his first visit with us. This was in 2010. Our daughter had been born. And Giovanna was pregnant with Cohen, our, our son. And, and it was his first visit. I was nervous. He's a big uh, manly guy, as you can tell uh, from that video. He didn't just have the mustache then. He had grown it out to a full goatee. So his intimidation factor was pretty high at that point. And I, I, I was planning to just roll out all the stops and try to impress him with my uh, masculinity as much as possible, uh, which I know sounds like a stretch. I... Uh, <laughs> Planned a bunch of projects for us to do. I went to, uh, you know, Blockbuster and rented all the Clint Eastwood movies I could find. And it was still 2010, so we still had Blockbuster back in the day. One night we sat down to watch Gran Torino, which I highly recommend, by the way. It's a great movie. We were watching Gran Torino in our living room. Um, but about halfway through it, I realized that I was all alone in the living room watching Gran Torino in Spanish for no reason. <laughs> and so uh, Gio and her dad had left. They were in the kitchen talking, and this was weird. They hadn't done much of that in years. So I thought to myself, this is probably not good. It's going to get nuclear up in here pretty quick. I was worried. I thought it was going to turn into a fight. And I'm not much of a fighter, you know, like uh, what would Clint Eastwood do? Like I was asking all the questions. Because for 14 years, she had felt abandoned. She went to bed at night all alone for much of that time. Before she met me, um, she, um, she, she, she was 
all alone in a foreign country, in West Chase in Houston, not knowing sometimes where she was going to stay in the next month or where meals would come from sometimes or how or if she would ever get to college. She felt forsaken by her father. They never came to our wedding. They didn't come when our daughter was born. Like she felt all of these feelings and thoughts, you know, just abandonment. So, of course, you're going to, part of you is going to feel like, you know, exacting revenge or turning that guilt knife a little bit or making him feel bad, you know, or, or just kind of breaking his heart in return. I didn't know what was about to happen. But then I began to hear the strangest sound coming from inside the kitchen. It was the unmistakable sound. I don't know if you've ever heard it. The unmistakable sound of a macho man in tears, sobbing. Literally on his knees in front of his daughter, saying to her in Spanish, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me, forgive me. Perdóname, perdóname, Giovanna. And I heard Giovanna say through tears of her own, Dad, I forgave you a long time ago. I can see now why God brought me here. I can see how what happened then has led to what I have today. And I'm grateful, Dad, I forgive you. And how many of us today have been impacted by this strange turn of events in the life of this young Ecuadorian girl whose family wasn't there for her? Right? Amen. This is God. Okay. Reminded me of what Joseph said to his brothers years later, just before he died in Genesis 50, verse 19. He said, don't be afraid, brothers. Am I in the place of God? He said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. There is nothing that anyone has ever done to you that can derail God's good plans for your life. No one in your life has ever had or will ever have that kind of power over your destiny and who you can become. There is nothing that anyone can do to stop God's grace from restoring you and empowering you to forgive them. God will not only set you free from the chains of your past, he will empower you to set them free as well. This is not even an emotional decision. I know these are emotional issues, but this is a very logical decision. When you stand at that crossroads and your heart's in a thousand pieces, you can go this way and spiritually die, that way and spiritually die, or that way and live forever. In glory, with purpose. And I've seen it too many times where betrayal in the past leads to restoration in the future. I've seen it too many times where a young man in business was betrayed by his business partners and he thought it was over, his career was over, he would never be what he thought he would be and then he trusted God. At every turn he trusted God and God blessed him, God blessed him and he trusted him. And then one day he became greater than they ever were. 
And I've seen it in marriages where there was betrayal in the past and maybe even a breakup or a divorce and the, the betrayed, maybe in this case the wife feels like she's not worthy of love in the aftermath of that adultery or that serial cheating or even emotional abuse or something and she for a season feels in chains. But over time she learns to trust God and God blesses her. God blesses her and she trusts him. And one day she becomes the person that that ex said she would never be. Because the people in your past that betrayed you do not control your future unless you let them. By the grace of God, no matter what crossroads you're standing at today, you have choices to stay where you are, to go back to the past, or to step into your future with God, free and forgiven and ready to forgive. Guys, this is the whole message of the gospel. This is the reason Jesus came, forgiveness. When he was on the cross and screaming out to his father, feeling forsaken by his father, feeling forgotten by his friends, only one of them cared to show up. One of them sold him for 30 pieces of silver, sold out like Joseph, but he, he hung there on the cross, forgiving the ones that put him there. And he said that his blood was given as a ransom for the forgiveness of all people in all times, if we would just trust that we are forgiven and free to forgive and set free.